0: Welcome to this edition of Joffrey Maverick Memories podcast, a companion project for the documentary film Joffrey Mavericks of American Dance. This series will highlight personal stories from the alumni of the Joffrey Ballet Company during its more than 50 year history to give a unique inside perspective on what it was like to be part of this groundbreaking American dance company. Today's guest is Leslie Carruthers-Oroma, a Joffrey dancer from 1980 to 1989. She danced many leading roles with the Joffrey, including in their production of Frederick Ashton's The Dream and The Snow Queen in Joffrey's Nutcracker. She was also thrilled to be cast in Robert Joffrey's last choreographic work, Postcards, in 1980, when she was a new dancer in the company. Today she's the artistic director of the Colburn School's Trudel Zipper Dance Institute in Los
1: Angeles. So I was in Joffrey too I uh, joined in 79, okay, and was there for about nine months in that company before... Uh having the opportunity to move into the main company.
2: So you were there, I guess, as this startup from the layoff they had in 79?
1: That's right. Yes, okay. most of my group, uh, my Joffrey Two group, moved up all at the same time, including Glenn Edgerton and Tom Mossbrucker and James Canfield and a number of others, Celeste Jablzinski, Madeline right. Burtis, almost our whole group, yeah.
2: So they were really starting, you know, fresh with not too many people who were there before
1: uh, I think a lot had left that's right so we were we were the the new crop <laughs> right and so how
2: when, when something like that happens where the company kind of um, goes through a, a clean sweep and starts all over again um, were you already familiar with the repertoire that was going on in the main company I mean was it really difficult to make a transition from being in the second company to being the first and having a season to do
1: well not not really i I had been at the Joffrey Ballet School for a number of years, um coming for the summers, and then i I was there for an entire year before getting into Joffrey too so during that time, we would rush from class to city center and see everything that the Joffrey did, so I was very familiar with the dancers and the repertoire and um it was really a huge part of my education was watching those great dancers and and those great ballets and really sort of um immersing myself in what the Joffrey was and and their their unique artistic product so when we when i i was able to join the Joffrey too part of what we did was actually participate in some performances particularly uh the uh Nureyev collaboration on Broadway doing mm-hmm. the, the Nijinsky um, Diaghilev program, which was a thrill. So we, we already had dipped our foot in, in these heady waters. And um, so I think that by the time we were brought into the company, we were very familiar and um, anxious and ready to begin our journey with them.
2: Now, at that time, I guess Mr. Joffrey really wasn't involved in the day-to-day of the company and the studio kind of thing. um, Well,
1: luckily, because I think there were so many of us coming up uh, through the ranks and and brand-new young dancers, he did actually teach company class every day for six weeks, I remember, when we first came into the company. And I know that was unusual. He had done that less and less. And uh, over the years, I was there we didn't see that happen again, but it was a thrill for us. And I think it was a really very useful way to get our, you know, sort of understand what he was looking for and for him to get to know us. And, um, really, and he was just such an incredible teacher. I think it really just, uh, you know, was immensely beneficial for us to have that as our start in the, in the company
2: and what of Mr. Arpino did you know much about him before you came Did you? I guess you did encounter him in Joffrey 2 um, maybe you had to do some pieces his pieces in Joffrey 2 no well. actually
1: actually not um, we didn't when, during my time in the, in the Joffrey 2 I, w- I was only there nine months it wasn't a long time we didn't do Arpino's ballets but of course I was watching them on the stage every night going to the, the theater I did not really have uh, a chance to meet him, though, or work with him until I joined the company.
2: Hmm. And then during so, that time, he had Light Rain that came out, Round of Angels. Um, uh, you know, he had some of his older pieces, I'm sure, uh, Sweet Sensual Home and um, mm-hmm. Italian Sweets and things like that. Um, were those pieces that you were featured in or that you were involved with helping him um, choreograph? Because I know he helped... He, collaborated a lot with the dancers that he had in the company to create.
1: That's right. That's right. We did, I danced, um, Sol* and Italian Sweet, both, uh, and was featured in those ballets. Um, we danced those for many years. Those were not created on us, but, uh, and I did dance Round of Angels after it was created on Patricia Miller uh, when she left the company. I I inherited that beautiful role, and danced mm-hmm. it for many years. And we we were able to do it for television as well. Uh, the Light Rain was the piece that I think he was inspired by having all these new young young dancers in the company. Right when my whole group joined, um, I think that's part of. What inspired him to make this piece? It was very much um, high energy, useful ballet. And I was originally in a different role than the one I, I inherited. Celeste Jabzinski had mm-hmm. in, uh, the Potida, de the central Potida, de created on her. She left the company a short time after that, and I inherited the role. I danced it with James Canfield for many years, and then Tom Mossbrucker and Philip Jerry. And that that ended up being one of the signature ballets in my career with the Joffrey and um, did it for about, um, I guess, about eight years, uh, almost nonstop. We did it everywhere. We did it on television and did it on the Merv Griffin show. And um, But it, it's still to this day, I think, one of his most appealing and popular ballets. And I've enjoyed watching other casts over the years take on that that role
2: right i remember carol valeski said whenever you would perform it in los angeles people would just throw flowers and that l a especially loved light rain when LA did
1: in San Francisco it was kind of fun it was almost like a rock concert you know we were expecting lighters (laughs) to get lit out in the house because people would come back again and again to see it um not just because of me because the whole ballet was a lot of fun the music is incredible and just the energy the lighting the um the the athleticism of it really got people going so they'd come back and they'd bring their friends and everybody would there'd be a lot of uh you know cheering <laughs> the audience, it was right. a lot of fun for us. It really, really was uh, exciting to ha- feel that energy coming from the audience a lot of fun
2: um, right I, I would think that that's not something normally felt in a ballet performance that the energy of the people being excited for what, i mean not that they don't have emotional feeling for what you're doing, but to really be you know. People would describe it about billboards as well when they mm-hmm. stood up and they would cheer and it was like being in a rock concert. That That's, right. That's right. It must be unusual.
1: It is unusual, but but Jerry Arpino's ballets really elicited that response quite often. I think of Trinity also, you know, with the rock band. That was incredibly fun to dance because, the, you know, the rock band would be warming up during intermission and we'd hear them jamming in the pit. And there was this palpable excitement and energy. And, and then the curtain went up and that, you know, the audience was just really there with us and, and that we would typically get so many bows that we actually had a, an encore prepared. That's the only ballet I think I've ever been in, in my entire career where there was a prepared encore. And it was because people really didn't want it to end. <laughs> and so the band would the band would hit it again, and we'd run off stage and we'd do the whole a whole section of the ballet again. You so, know, actually, it's interesting. I haven't heard much talk about postcards, and yes. that was a that was uh, the last ballet really that Robert Joffrey was in the studio and choreographed, and that was also just when I joined the company. Mm -hmm. So I know that, um, you know, depending on what era people were in, he was in the studio a lot or maybe not at all. But as as I had mentioned at the very beginning in 1980, when I first joined, uh, he was very involved with not only teaching, but with this beautiful, beautiful ballet that he put together. And it was to all Eric Satie music. And they were cafe songs. And there was a character, a leading character, a man who sort of represented Eric Satie and uh-huh. also i think just a little bit represented robert joffrey as well and um it was beautiful we were all in these sort of 1920s looking costumes and there were potatos and women's dances i did a women's duet and there were group dances and it was just simply beautiful um we had we had uh live uh singing as well a couple of yeah. beautiful opera singers and it, I think it was re it was brought back a couple of times uh, i believe in um later years, at least in one carnation or another. I think it was shortened at one point, but that was a fascinating process and also a labor of love. He found all of this music and it just completely floored him all this unknown cafe music of eric Satie. and and um so that you know to be in the dance studio with him week after week being a part of a new creation. You know, I was eighteen at the time, I was brand new. Really was was a great thrill and you know, I look back now and think realize how incredibly privileged I was because that was the very last time that happened.
2: Right. And and his process from what I hear different from our was he knew exactly what he wanted. When he came in the studio he knew all the movements, he was very organized, he, mm-hmm. um, you know, you. It, it wasn't so much a collaboration, it was the a, a choreographer working with the artist, but with the idea of the vision being the choreographer.
1: That's very true. The one unique thing was, though, we, we started, and he choreographed uh, most of it without music first. Hmm. We knew, so, for instance, I did, a, I, I was a part of a duet with Madeline burtis and he taught it, he choreographed and taught it to us as one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. And then later, much later, we got the music and we we put it together with that music. But um, that was something I had never seen done before and I found very oh. interesting.
2: And then um, you were in the dream, because the pictures that I see often online are with you and Ashley Wheat in the dream. Was that your first experience with an Ashton ballet?
1: No, actually, but one of my favorites. Uh, that's such a glorious ballet. Uh, we, we danced Le like mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm.
1: Uh and we did that for years. I was one of the two red girls with Charlene okay. Gem for many, many years. Um, I was also... Uh, fortunate enough to dance monotones too, mm, okay. and wedding bouquet. Those were uh, some of the Ashton ballets uh, that we did. We had in the repertoire that I was a part of. Uh, but the dream is definitely one of my favorites. That music, and actually, I remember it was one of the first things I had seen the Joffrey dance, and oh. made me fall in love with that company over all others. Um.
2: And also, then, during that time, you did some Dance in America, you know, television performances, the Nurea's one, and the Green Table is what I have in my list.
1: That's right, yes. We we did, that was when we went to the Grand Old Opry in Nashville, oh. and we used that huge, old, glorious, historic stage as our soundstage, and that's where we filmed those uh, ballets, and um, it was incredibly exciting. It was fun to be in the dressing rooms, you know, with these great old country Western stars on on the door, yes. you know, these, na- these great names from that world. Uh, and those were our ballet dressing rooms. And um, yes, I was a nursemaid in Petrushka, mm-hmm. and I was one of the old men and a refugee in uh, in the green table. Both ballets, I adore, both of them were it you know life changing really to perform. I adore the music in Petrushka. I love the color and the and the just the the history of that ballet, and to be on stage with uh, Nareyev, of course, was enormously exciting. For I was it was really just at the beginning of my career at the Joffrey, so you can imagine I was you know just. A newbie. Starstruck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and very starstruck. And I learned an enormous amount being in those ballets. Uh, as I mentioned, we were also on Broadway with him for a number of weeks, and I could sit in the wings every single night and watch him dance Afternoon of a Fawn and mm-hmm. Spectre de la Rose and Petrushka. I was in Petrushka with him, so I was literally on stage watching him. And that was an unforgettable experience. And I think I learned an enormous amount. From that opportunity.
2: And then a minute ago, you mentioned you know that the dream is, and some of the Ashton work was some what brought you to the Joffrey. What what do you think appealed to you? I mean, most people talk about their training, you know, was very classical, and that they were attracted to the eclecticism of it or the mm-hmm. energy of it. Is that what it was for you as well?
1: You know, it was a number of things. I had a very eclectic training, so. Mm-hmm. I guess the eclectic nature of the repertoire sort of made sense to me. And um, also there was a woman who was an older student in my school in Pasadena, Pasadena Dance Theater. We were studying with Evelyn Lamone and that was Cynthia Anderson. And she went off to New York and joined the Joffrey Ballet and um, had a beautiful career there before moving on to ABT. And she was sort of an idol and a role model for me. So that made me really want to be in that company as well. I, she was just someone I really looked up to, and I saw, you know, the, the wonderful experience and the role she was dancing there, and it just really, really jumped out at me as a place I wanted to be as well. I also think I liked the idea that it was a smaller company. So, and it, and there was there were no, you know, it's the all star, no star. So there's no hierarchy of corps de ballet, soloist, and principal, of course. As time goes on, generally, you're doing more principal roles, but uh, that hierarchy that's so hard to sort of jump from one level to the next in some companies, it just wasn't there. So I knew that that meant I would have possibly more opportunities. You know, I wouldn't always be fifth swan on the left.
2: Do you, What did you take from your experience with being in the Joffrey, with being around Mr. Joffrey, the whole culture of of the company um, into your life now as the artistic director of, of the Colburn School for the Dance Institute. What, what, is there anything that you learned there or things that infuse your work now?
1: Oh, yeah. I think anybody who worked with Robert Joffrey and with Gerald Arpino and, um, and, and were fortunate enough to dance that incredible repertoire we come away changed forever i think that it's very much colored uh how what sorts of material i give my students you know when we give them repertoire i i sort of follow that lead of uh you know great masterworks and innovative work and um and and hopefully making our students understand why it's important that they learn this and what its bigger meaning is i think it's for, it's easy for that to get lost you know when you're training young dancers because it's so much about pointing your feet and just there's so much physical work that needs to be done but you know i sort of have this commitment to myself to carry on his legacy of of the bigger picture uh-huh. why is this important why does dance matter what does this particular choreographer have to say and why is that important you know how has this taken us forward where did where did we come from where did where did all of this come from and where is it going you know we have to be thinking informed artists And I'd like our students to be the same so that because they're the next generation, they're going to carry it forward.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of our podcast. Visit our website at www.joffreemovie.com to sign up and receive a free series of digital photo books entitled Joffrey Maverick Moments. Find us on Facebook, Joffrey Ballet Movie. Follow us on Twitter at Joffrey Movie and view our video clips on our YouTube channel, Joffrey Movie.